Thanks for listening to the Field Goals Podcast. I am Dan Viennes, your host. Coming out of the bye week, heading into week, gosh, I can't even keep track anymore. You know, this 18-week schedule, whatever it is. Let's call it week 11 because the Seahawks are about to play their 11th game. They go into the bye week at 6-4, and four, get set to play the Raiders at home and Lumen, at Lumen Field on Sunday. Uh, but we're going to talk big picture today. Uh, we're going to talk draft. I've, I've touched on it a number of times over the last few weeks, but I felt like it was a little too early to dive deep. I think this is the perfect time. Um, draft boards are starting to shape up. The college football season is winding down. Lots of rivalry games this week with Thanksgiving looming. Uh, the college football playoff is starting to take shape. Guys are starting to declare. Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech just put his name in the hat. He's a guy that we've we've mentioned a few times over the year uh, so far. And so I think the timing is right. And the timing is right to bring this guy in. We welcome to the show Michael Thompson of 12th Man Rising. My old stomping grounds, 12th Man Rising. I remember my days uh, co-editing the site with Keith Myers fondly. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Excited to talk about Seahawks and the draft. And I know a lot of people on here are really excited about the Apple Cup coming up. So I know we're going to talk a little bit about a certain player that's playing in that game. So really honored to be on. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely. And you and I have been talking about this for quite some time. We started, you reached out to me at the beginning of the season and we've been exchanging mock drafts and talking about quarterback scenarios all season long. And, and again, the timing just uh, felt like it needed to be a little bit later in the season. And this feels right. Let's start. You mentioned it. And if anyone's peeking into the live stream, you'll see my affiliation. It is Apple Cup week, of, of course. And uh, looking forward to a really entertaining game. I think these two teams match up really well. You dealt with the best passing offense um, in the Pac-12. Actually, I think they Penix leads the nation in passing yardage, if I'm not mistaken, going up against uh, a really, really good Cougar defense. Um, and so it should be an interesting matchup. Also an interesting matchup of two very intriguing quarterbacks who play into this conversation. And just to set the stage, what we're going to do is have a general conversation of guys that might match with the Seahawks for what they're looking for. And, and of course, granted, that scenario has changed with how well Geno Smith has played. We'll, we'll touch on that. But you like to put these guys in tiers. And that that's, that's the way I really love looking at this. Day one, day two, day three, potential undrafted free agents. Let's talk about these Apple Cup quarterbacks because they're both very intriguing for different reasons. Cam Ward of the Cougars, the, the transfer from Incarnate Word, has had an interesting season. He's an interesting prospect, we both agree. But let's start talking about Michael Penix Jr. The transfer from Indiana had to overcome a bunch of injury issues while he was there, had some inconsistency, a lot of coaching changes. Kalen DeBoer brings him out to UW. They had had a brief overlap when he was offensive coordinator at Indiana. And Penix has just been lights out from day one. Where do you view him? Because he's made a move in your in your latest article, which hit today at 12thmanrising.com. Where do you view Michael Penix Jr., A, as a pro prospect overall, and B, as a potential fit for the Seahawks? Yeah, I think it's been pretty obvious this season that Michael Penix has been the most impressive college football quarterback this year when you consider the injuries uh, a new team a new system you consider how much of a dumpster fire UW was at this time last year mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure Jimmy Lake uh, was fired right, right around this time if not even yeah. sooner uh, one of the worst power five teams 
and probably the worst power five offense I saw last year. And he has come in with all these very similar players, some transfers, um, some new some new players, but he has lit it up, absolutely lit it up. Like you said, the, one of the top passing offenses in the country. Uh, he has made throws that I have not seen other prospects that will get drafted on top of him make uh, ahead of him this year make. And so I have four tiers, uh, essentially uh, tier one is first round pick there. These guys are pretty much locked to be in the first round. And then I have the next tier, which is about people that would expect to go in the second to third round. So you're talking that Saturday of the draft um, day two of the draft. Uh, and I've had him, essentially not be on this list of my four tiers when we started the season he has moved himself all the way up to the top of tier two he is actually alone in tier two Um, and i have him as my fifth rated quarterback in this upcoming draft and there is still room for him to ascend which is incredible to think about when you consider where he was at this point a year or even two years ago yeah um he he can make every throw uh one of the games that really stood out to me was the Oregon game. That was a game where UW was not the more talented team. They were not at home. They were on the road in a rivalry game. And it looked like for a few moments there and a few possessions, that game was over. And I have not seen 15 yard outs, 20 yard wheel routes, um, deep, you know, 20 to 40 yard passes where he is throwing absolute dimes that are getting there a millisecond before NFL secondary players like Christian Gonzalez are going after. And he's beating those routes and he's throwing those 70 yard bombs Mm -hmm. that those are the throws that you see the best players in the NFL make. And it's just very unique to see it from Michael Penix. It's, it's very, it's wild. It's a great story. One of the best stories and most under talked about stories in, in college football this year. Yeah. And you touched on it. He's, he's, I think without a doubt, even when you talk about the, the top couple of guys, which we will, the Strouds and the Youngs and the Levises that, that he's been the most consistent quarterback in the country from, from week one. And what's interesting about him to me is I'd never heard of him. And, and when, when it was announced that he was transferring to UW, all I had to go on were his career statistics, and they looked very pedestrian. You know, I thought he was a guy coming out of a, a vanilla offense that you know might back up Heward because he was the guy that was the five star and the national player of the year and all those kinds of things. And from day one, it was Penix. Um, and and the other thing that that the point that you make that I wholeheartedly agree on is when I, when I look at college quarterbacks, I try to not just look at guys that have arm talent and can can throw throw a pretty ball, have good mechanics, those kinds of things, but make NFL throws. And and I consider those, I'm big on, on a guy's got to be able to throw the seam route, right? We've talked about that in regards to the Seahawks this year and the difference between Geno Smith and Russell Wilson. So we're seeing that be part of the offense again. It opens up the middle of the field, being able to throw that second level ball over the first line of his own defense, over the linebacker in front of the safety, those are tough throws that some of the college spread offenses don't give us a, a an accurate look at a quarterback's talent because they just don't call for them to make those kinds of throws. Penix makes them time and time again. The other one is the one really the, the throw that won the game against Oregon, which is the sideline route, but also to a second level where you're throwing over a layer of the defense and in front of coverage. He's so good at that. And he throws those into, into tight windows. We're actually seeing him make throws that translate to the NFL. Is he a guy that you think will be there? Is he So you say tier two. 
does that relate to day two? Is he a second or third round pick? Yeah, I think if we stop playing football right now uh, and the draft was tomorrow, I would expect him to probably go at the very end of round two hmm. to possibly the middle of round three. But there's a lot that's still out there. Uh, that Oregon tape looks really good. Uh, his pro day could be fantastic. Um, I expect him to go to the combine. Uh, I would expect a player like Bryce Young, who probably doesn't want to get fully measured for his height and his weight, probably will not go to the combine. Um, and those are opportunities that doesn't necessarily hurt a guy like Bryce Young, but that helps a guy like Michael Penix to show off, you know, yeah. and that you see that almost every year where someone goes to the combine or lights up the pro day. And it usually jumps them up about 15 spots in a draft. Michael has a chance to go play a really good Cougars defense on the road uh, at night on, on around the holidays. I, I expect the him to play well. I don't know if they're going to win. I expect them to play well, but they're playing for a Rose Bowl berth. Yeah. Uh, there's a path where USC should take care of business and make the college football playoff. And the, the Rose Bowl is going to take the second highest ranked team from the Pac-12. And if UW wins to, on, on in the Apple Cup, I would expect them to eventually jump Oregon if USC beats Oregon. So now you're looking at Michael Penix playing Michigan or Ohio State in a Rose Bowl yeah. on New on the you know around New Year's Day prime time, millions of people watching, scouts are watching. What if he plays well in that game, yeah. win or lose? What if he plays well and he shows that he can light up against a team? in Michigan that's probably got seven first round picks over the next two years on that defensive side. Well, now there's a route there where Penix could be an early day two pick. Mm. And I'm not even taking out of the consideration that he could be a late first round pick. If someone wants to trade up and, and select him, yeah. I feel very comfortable that if he plays well over the next two to three games that he might have this year, that he is going to be probably, he'll probably go in the first 50 picks. Which is an incredible accomplishment for him, and and the comp that I see, like we were talking about, all the throws, it doesn't necessarily look like he's got the most incredible arm every time he throws. It, you know, he doesn't have like the typical body, the weight that you would expect um, from those prototypical typical quarterbacks. But he slings it like it's nobody's business. Where I would put him very similar as my comp is Geno Smith. Actually, hmm. I think there's a lot okay. of similar stuff. Um, you were talking about like what you're looking for out of a quarterback. Uh, there's about three things I'm looking for. You talked about that second level, that 15 yards, middle of the field. Can you see over it? Can you make those plays? Can you get it over the linebackers? Another thing I look for is that I feel like the third and seven is the typical or third and 10, any of that area. Can you move the chains? Can you find that tight end that sits right there? Can you read the zone? Can you beat the cornerback and throw it where it needs to be? And then the third throw, which is probably the most important throw, is when the game's on the line, can you throw 20 to 40 yards down the field? And can you put it right where it needs to be to where your DK Metcalf can go get it? Where Can you put it just in front of, of the corner to where Tyler Lockett can get it and finish the next 15 yards? You make those three throws on a fairly consistent basis, I trust that you can run my offense. And you put Penix in this Rams Sean or Shane Waldron offense, I think the sky's the limit. And what a perfect place for him to get drafted and to sit for a year behind a Geno Smith and then to be ready by 2024 to take the reins and basically do what Geno does with what I think is a slightly better arm. 
Interesting. Interesting comp. And I would weave into all those qualities that you mentioned, decisiveness. What I like about Penix and what I've seen is, is when he when he decides to where he's going with the football, he just rips it. He he doesn't he doesn't there's no hesitation at all. He's he's extremely confident in, in the decisions that he's making in the moment. Um, kind of reminds me of Gardner Minshew at WSU yeah. when he was in that vein where sometimes he might hold the ball a split second longer than you want him to, but when he does make a decision on where he's going with the football, he really gets it there. Not not the way I feel about the other guy in this game. Um, as a Cougar grad, I've been watching Cam Ward really closely. He's an, he's an interesting prospect, and, and you and I have talked about it privately about how hard it is to put a finger on what he is. He he keeps showing up in these mock drafts and he keeps being talked about as a pro prospect. And even as a, as a guy who's, who's loyal and, and emotionally attached to the, to the Washington state football program, I don't really see it. I mean, he has one of the quickest releases I've ever seen in my entire life, but I don't know that that's a good thing. He has this bizarre throwing the, these mechanics where he stands flat footed almost, he doesn't step into the throws. And and sometimes I think that's to a detriment. Sometimes I think it's, you know, the ball sails a little bit um, or, or he's, he suffers from some inaccuracy. I also don't see those NFL throws I see. And some of that, we don't know. I don't know if it's the system or not the scheme, lots of bubble screens, lots of, of spread concepts. But I, but within the spread, and you know, we've we've watched the air raid for years in Pullman and in other places, and even other spread teams, they're still finding opportunities to push the ball downfield, and that's what I'm not seeing from Cam Ward. And I don't know if that's because he can't do it, doesn't want to do it, doesn't feel comfortable doing it, or it just isn't being called on to do it. What do you make? Of, I know he's not in any of your tiers, but what do you make of Cam Ward? Yeah, like you and I talked about, he might be the most. <clears throat> Other than, I know you and I have disagreed a little bit on DJ uh, Ungalele, um, might be one of the most difficult prospects to read this year. Uh, if you were to ask me if I was a GM running a team, I would tell him, hey, come back next year um, and show me that you can throw down the field. Um, I've seen hundreds of quarterbacks throw bubble screens and throw for 250 yards and two touchdowns. Um, I need to see quarterbacks that can throw for 250 in those three categories that we were looking at the third and yeah. seven to 10 moving yeah. the chains, second level, the deep throws and the physical tools look like they're all there. Um, he looks fairly mobile. Mm -hmm. um, he looks like he, he can make some wow throws. Um, that Oregon game, there were some times where it looked like I was watching a little bit of Mahomes, like around the pocket. Yeah. There was also sometimes I saw a little bit of Johnny Menzel, <laughs> kind of running around crazy and just chucking the ball a couple times. And you know what? It yeah. worked out. Right. Um, doesn't get talked a lot about in that game, but there was also a few late hits on him that moved drives and scored points that put them in good positions to lead or to take the lead in a game. They probably should have won, yeah. but absolutely. I, I just, I see a lot of, Oh, Oh, he made that work. Or, ooh, oh, that didn't look great. Um, and I would like to see him go out and go win a game making NFL throws. And I have not seen that at all this year. Doesn't mean he hasn't played well. I think he's played very well. I mean, it's a pretty big jump to go from Incarnate Word to the Pac-12, especially in a year where it's probably the best yeah. Pac-12 has been in a long time. Uh, and so a guy like him, I would say come back a year. 
Uh, I, I'm very confused why a lot of these mock, you know, draft sites, which, you know, take take those with a grain of salt. You know, those are sure. just going to set you up for heartbreak anyways. But uh, that's a quarterback that I really feel like I want to see you make those throws yeah. that I have not seen you make this year. Now, they've had a good year. Uh, I, you know, I don't necessarily expect the staff to be leaving or going anywhere. You know, they got a chance to win eight maybe even nine games this year, which is a huge success um, for, for your Cougars. And so you go ahead and you beat Michael Penix in a bowl game or in the, in the Apple Cup, and then you go win a bowl game. Someone might tell him, hey, we'll take you in the third or fourth round. I wouldn't because I want to see more from him. But if someone tells you that, why I, I, I could see him going and being a project. And so I would probably say he's probably the number one quarterback that's – not in my top four tiers because okay. I would not draft him. Yeah, I would. I would be happy to sign him as an undrafted free agent and bring him to camp and let him battle Drew Lock if we did bring Drew Lock back next year, or even if he drafted a quarterback in the fifth, fourth round, even Michael Penix if Seattle wanted to draft him, um, bring him in as an undrafted free agent, see what he looks like, see if you got something interesting, and if not, you know he's a guy that's probably going to get picked up by a few teams and be given a few shots because he looks the part physically. It's just, can he make those throws on a consistent basis? And yeah. what does he look like on a team that gives him the chance to make those throws? Cause the Eric, it's Eric Morris, I believe is the offensive. Player. Yes. Um, he, he runs a very college spread offense and that worked at incarnate word. It's working so far at WSU to an extent. And you know, if it's not broke, why fix it? And so, it's not one of those things where he's getting challenged, which that is a huge problem with many of these quarterbacks in a yeah. draft that we thought was going to be otherworldly. That is still really good, but there's a lot of warts that we're seeing in some of these prospects for this coming draft. Well, the Apple Cup will be an interesting test for him because because UW is going to challenge him and, and they are going to force him to make throws down the field. And um, yeah, I think he definitely needs to come back. Um, I would agree with that. Uh, it just adds another layer of intrigue to the game on Saturday is the battle of the quarterbacks. Let's get to the rest of the field. Um, and I want to start here because it's the most recent news. You and I have talked a lot this year about Hendon Hooker from Tennessee. He's a guy that I have, uh, my affinity for him has grown throughout the years I've watched him. And I know there were questions about his offense and how many times he's thrown to wide open guys. Um, but you made a comp from Michael Penix to Geno Smith to me, Hendon Hooker was Geno Smith 2.0, and not just because they're physically built the same, but they kind of have a similar throwing motion and and uh, kind of move the same. They just physically look very, very similar in how they go about what they do. He, he suffers an ACL injury on Saturday. His season is over. It's his third ACL injury. His injuries have are part of the reason that he's an overaged pros, prospect. I believe he's going to be 26 by the time the draft gets here. He was a guy who had played himself into the Heisman consideration conversation, but also starting to see him at the end of the first round in some mock drafts, certainly in the second and third round, even with the age. I've, I've seen comments from scouts where they had said they didn't care about his age, that his age didn't matter. They thought he was a guy who could play early in his career. Yet another ACL injury. He might have been a guy that would be targeted by the Seahawks on day two or three. What does this latest setback do for his draft stock? Unfortunately, it probably costs it one, if not two, full rounds of a drop. Uh, Hendon Hooker was probably the best story in college football 
that people were talking about. We were talking about nobody really talking about Michael Penix. It's because Hendon Hooker's been the star of college football. It's cool. You got a guy that's old enough to rent a car that's kicking (laughs) all these people's butt in college football. Um, A lot of us grew up with Tennessee being a power and pretty much anybody that's a little bit younger than us does, hasn't thought of Tennessee as a, as a college football power. They used to be one of the big dogs in college football and Josh Heupel and Hendon Hooker had brought the Vols back to prominence. Um, and Hooker had the Heisman. If, if Hooker played well on Saturday and this Saturday and they had won, uh, they're probably making the college football playoff. Hmm. Um, and, and you think about TCU getting in, uh, the Michigan, Ohio state loser out. I probably think knowing that committee and their sec love that a one loss, Tennessee is probably getting in over a one loss USC. If USC was a one loss, that's just my opinion. Um, and that would have locked hooker up for the Heisman and that would have locked hooker up for a first round pick because he's probably getting to get to go play Ohio state in the Fiesta Bowl in a two, three matchup possibly, or something like that. Um, and that's just another great opportunity. And I, I fully would have expected if Carolina, cause he's from Charlotte, if Carolina had not taken, cause they weren't going to take hooker with a top five pick, right? but they could have taken a defensive player. And then I would have expected their second round pick or an earlier round pick. They would have traded up and tried to come and get hooker in the late, the first, hmm. um, you, you kind of nailed it. I, early on in the year, had a, a, a less mobile Lamar Jackson where he can make those deep throws. I have some questions about him, his second or third read compared to just taking off and running, which, again, that's just part of college football. Um, most of these coaches in this spread offense, hey, look for Jalen Hyatt or look for Brew McCoy. If they're not open, take off and go get me 8 to 15 yards. Yeah. And he was perfectly capable of doing that. He looked healthy. He had a tremendous arm. Um, you really nailed it with that Geno Smith comp. Um, can make every throw on the field, took care of the ball. The Heisman was his. And then they just run into a buzzsaw in South Carolina, and it just gets – you know, more salt to the, to the wound with, with his ACL injury. And that's really a bummer because that's going to cost him the pre-draft process. Um, and now he is considered somewhat older and he has an injury, a major injury red flag attached to his draft sheet. Yeah. Um, that it, when you look at that draft sheet on Hennon Hooker, there's going to be a lot of red tape on that thing. Um, and you got to really wonder, you know, can he still be mobile enough, which, you know, today, the way surgeries are done, most of these guys come back looking better than ever. Um, sometimes you don't. And yeah. so I think that I would expect him to fall to at best the third round. I would expect him to probably get drafted in the fourth round by a team that says, hey, you know, we got a starting quarterback that we feel really good about for the next year or two. Um, but you come basically red shirt. You know, we're going to have you be on IR and you're going to rest and you're going to heal and you're going to learn. And then probably in 2024, we're looking at you as a backup quarterback learning. And then maybe in 2025, you're ready to go, Hmm. which is, you know, that's a long ways away. But kind of talking about if what quarterbacks are really good, if you're going to commit to Geno Smith, you're going to sign him to a two, three, four year extension. Yeah. You know, that takes Geno into age 35, 36 years. You can make a case he's got a lot more legs on or run on him than the average quarterback because he hasn't played in a long time. But I like the idea of, of hey, Hooker, you know, take take a year off, rest, learn, and then come back for a year, rest, learn, be our backup, and then we'll see what, what you know, the Seahawks look like by then. 
Um, we might could, be seeing this could just be, be the, the best team. Yeah, this could just be the Seahawks' new thing is they just groom quarterbacks so that when they're thirty, they're ready to take <laughs> yeah. o- they're ready to take over. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the retirement home of successful NFL quarterbacks in, in a Seattle. in a very strange way. That scenario that we talked about a couple of days ago could make so much sense for the Seahawks. You know, you stash that guy on IR, you make sure Geno's legit, and that he's you know if he's not. You know, a couple years down the line, if it's time for a change, you have he could be the next Geno. He could be the backup. Um, yeah, and you're, and you're talking about a 28 year old Hendon Hooker, right? Like it's it's not like we're talking about like a 34 year old guy. You know, <laughs> it's I know I'm a, a lot of people make the jokes to Brandon Whedon, who I think got drafted yeah. when he was like 28 or 29. Yeah. Well, Brandon Whedon wasn't a good quarterback, yeah. and 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 that's that's the reason. And then he got drafted in the wrong place in Cleveland. Yeah, and so Hooker, you put him in a healthy, successful environment where. You know, this version of the Seahawks, probably in two years, you're going to see the prime of Charles Cross, the prime of Abe Lucas, mm-hmm. the prime of Kenneth Walker, this defense, secondary and pass rush. A lot of these guys are probably going to be in their prime and we're probably a Super Bowl contending team if all goes well. And a hooker can just step right on in if Gino isn't performing or gets hurt and he could seamlessly keep this thing going. And it's interesting as we as we continue this conversation, interesting to note that you know, the NFL is different than it used to be. Teams used to routinely carry three quarterbacks on their active roster. Um, now, almost none of them do, um, unless you're the New York Jets. Um, and and Pete Carroll never has. The Seahawks never have. And they've they've always um, leaned towards veteran backups. You know, Geno Smith being the, the best example of that. And early in their career here, John Schneider used to talk about the Green Bay way and how he wished he could draft a quarterback every single year and hope that you hit on one. And if you don't, you know, if you if you hit on a guy and your starter's good enough, you can trade him for draft capital. And they, they just never have. And every year he says, it's because the situation just didn't happen. Well, now with what's happened, with what we're seeing in Seattle, with Geno Smith being a legitimate franchise quarterback that's going to be extended and going to be the starter here for who knows how many years moving forward. The Seahawks have never shown a penchant to trust their backup quarterback position to a young guy. There's even been reports that they are interested in bringing Drew Locke back if 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 he doesn't have an opportunity to start somewhere else and, and stay with the status quo. So now we're talking about a guy, if they are interested in bringing a quarterback on at all, who is good enough to keep around as a developmental prospect, but not good enough to be poached by another team if he's on the practice squad, which is a t- probably where we're talking more about the tier two and tier three, but I want to flip it around with that in mind. That's how I want to talk about the first round prospects and your tier one guys. Who are they? And are any of them? Let's assume for the moment right now, as we sit here today, the Denver Broncos pick would be five. The Seahawks would be picking fifth in this draft and their own pick is 23. I think somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, are any of these guys that you have in tier one good enough that even though it's not an immediate need might tempt the Seahawks into using a first round pick? Yes, I I do think that there is the temptation there. So you're looking at pick number five. So when, when I'm drafting, if I, if I was running a team, my draft principles are, are pretty simple. If I have a first round pick, I am only looking at quarterback offensive line, defensive line, exceptional corners, and exceptional pass catchers, primarily wide receivers. I think if you're looking at a running back, if you're looking at a linebacker, if you're looking at safeties, I think you're kind of looking in the wrong place and you're you're not getting the most 
value out of the position that you have. Mm-hmm. And so when you're picking at the very top, you are looking at the possibility of getting a franchise quarterback that is probably ready to start for you by, even with Geno, probably ready to start for you by about this time next year. And probably a year after that, you're probably, if you're kind of going off the Russell Wilson model, you're you're ready to win a Super Bowl by year two. There's also the opportunity to get elite defensive talent in yeah. this draft. Yeah. So you're looking at my draft rankings and my tier one. I have people that basically what I rank it as you got to sit long and hard and think about your team and your future if you're going to pass on these quarterbacks. And so I rank my quarterbacks from one to four. Uh, my number one overall prospect, I have a CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud I have as the safest option. Um, doesn't mean he's not talented. CJ Stroud can make every throw. CJ Stroud is mobile enough to move around in the pocket. He is not your prototypical Ohio State quarterback. I've heard that all over social media. Yeah. And I get it. I get it. Yeah. There is 50 years of history to show mm-hmm. you that Ohio State quarterbacks haven't been great in the NFL. Almost all of them were basically just guys that handed the ball off to great Ohio State running backs, or they in themselves were great running backs. Josh Field or Justin Fields, he's having a really successful last few weeks. I don't mean to knock him. Right. He's, he's a glorified running back that's making a few throws. Now, he has zero talent around him. He's running around like crazy. I still think there's a path where he could be successful. If the 49ers were smart and would have drafted him a couple years ago when they had the third overall pick instead of Trey Lance, I think we'd all be a little bit nervous, even more nervous than we are now of the 49ers because mm-hmm. just the environment you get drafted. Um, CJ Stroud reminds me of Joe Burrow. You hmm. put him okay. in this team, he can make every throw. Of all the quarterbacks, I think if Seattle drafted him next year, and so take it as we didn't sign Geno or we moved on from Geno, CJ Stroud is probably the one rookie I feel the most comfortable that we could still get to an NFC championship or even be that first team to get to a Super Bowl with a rookie. Mm-hmm. Is it likely? No. But over the next four years, you probably have a guy that's going to be a good quarterback good enough to get you to a Super Bowl. Um, He might not have all the wow plays, but he can make every throw that you need. It helps to have Marvin Harrison Jr. as your top wide receiver. Yeah, he's got some other guys too. Yeah, He's got incredible (laughs) talent. The number one receiver in this class going into the year has played like 20, 30 snaps. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and he's not even healthy, which, you know, if he gets healthy for the playoff, look out. Mm -hmm. But that's a guy that I feel like, oh, yeah, I feel like this is a guy that can come in, run this offense, hand the ball off to Walker, and throw the ball 20 to 25 times to Lockett, Metcalf, Fant, Disley, and help us win the way we won in 2013 and 2014 if this defense continues to develop. You just are running the risk of kind of sacrificing next season if you really feel like you can win the Super Bowl next year with Geno. Um, so that's my top guy. I really feel like he can make all the throws. He's the safest bet. Um, the number two prospect is very different than everyone else's. Uh, I have Anthony Richardson as my number two yep. overall prospect. Yep. And so my view here is if I'm running a football team, I'm either running a guy or drafting a guy that I think can win me or get me to two Super Bowls in the next five years of that cheap contract, which that's CJ, or I'm drafting a guy that I feel like his ceiling is just so much higher than everyone else's that he could change the game. He also could set me back five years. Right. And Anthony Richardson has the most boomer bust of all of my tier one quarterbacks. Um, 
I also have Bryce Young and Will Levis as my other ones. We'll get to them in a second. But Anthony Richardson, there's not another quarterback with, with his size, um, with his build, with his arm strength, with his mobility. Uh, he made Utah, um, who's a good team, made them look like a junior varsity football team trying to tackle a full-grown adult. Mm-hmm. Um, he ran around them, over them, through them multiple times he one one area i like to look at my quarterbacks is what how do they do in games when they're clearly overmatched and that's the nice thing about having some of these sec quarterbacks i've been able to watch them against georgia who's the best team in college football yeah litter you know the best defensive tackle prospect i've seen probably since quinnon williams um who's doing who's having a defensive player of the year type of year with jalen carter jalen carter Mm -hmm. um was healthy in time for that game um and so Anthony Richardson looked overwhelmed talent-wise. He got hurt on the first play of the game. He couldn't run. And you know what? He still found a way to keep his team in the game, and they were within one score going into the late of the third quarter against a team that probably should win the national championship again. That spoke a lot to me about the type of player he is. Even when he's hurt, he didn't leave the field. He came back out there. Could easily have sat out. You know, I'm trying to be a top 15 pick. Came back out and still made ridiculous plays. He is raw. That offense is awful uh billy napier has done no favors for him and making him be as successful as he can be you put him in the 49ers offense or the rams offense however you want to describe it and you run play action you got two targets to look at before you kind of make your read or you can run that's a dimension of seattle we have not seen since prime russ and that's imagining prime russ if he was 6'4 225 yeah. 230. yeah um and so he there's He's prime Cam Newton. That's how I look at him. He also could be the end of his career, Cam Newton. That's kind of his ceiling and his floor. Um, but prime Cam Newton on a good team, Cam Newton carried some pretty overrated Carolina teams to pretty far in the playoffs. Um, and he almost got to, he almost won a Super Bowl. I think Cam Newton on this team is special. Bryce, Bryce Young, or I'm sorry, Will Levis, I have his number three. Okay. Uh, Will Levis is the darling of many draft prospects. Oof, uh, many he's had a, a tough year, though tough year physically has gotten the crap beat out of him he has probably the worst offensive line in the sec he's getting sacked five or six times a game he's not running anymore because he can't right now because he's not healthy but he's staying on the field Um, that offense is just running the ball 35 40 times a game trying to protect him i think they're just trying to get to the end of the season i think they're just trying to get to a bowl game you saw him last week at home against georgia similar thing really struggled um, to get the ball moving, but when he had to run, he did, and he looked good. Um, he made some mistakes against Georgia, um, that interception in the corner of the end zone to Keely Ringo, who is someone I'm really high on as a yeah. defensive back prospect. Sure. Um, that's a bad throw. Can't make those throws in the NFL. Uh, Ringo's an NFL dude, and the NFL is full of dudes, and you can't make that throw to a guy like that. But it's also impressive to see a guy – and Will Levis, who's not healthy with not a good team, go 99 yards when they had to get a score against Georgia with a chance to make it a one-possession game. They didn't get the two-point conversion. But he can make all the throws when he's healthy. Will Levis is a guy that's going to destroy other prospects at the combine or at the pro day. He's going to win these interviews because he is a leader. He has fought through so much this year, and you haven't heard a word from him complaining. And so that's the guy that I think you're going to see a lot of people really love. And he might actually not even make it to five. And then Bryce Young is my fourth prospect. And again, we're kind of talking about Cam Ward. 
Bryce Young's a really hard prospect to read. Uh, He doesn't fit the body and the size of what I'm looking for in an NFL quarterback. We did 10 years with Russell Wilson. I think there is a case he is a slightly better thrower overall in terms of the intermediate um, passing. uh, And he also throws that deep ball really well. Mm. It's you say you're six feet, 195 pounds on the Alabama website. You're probably five ten, right. and you're probably under one ninety. And so you showed some injuries this year. You showed you didn't really light up without Jamison Williams last this having him this year. Would I be upset if Seattle took him? No. Would I be upset if we took him at five? I'd be a little concerned. Yeah. But you know, he can make all the throws. He has all the intangibles. That's all great. I think those are really important things to have. But you can't take, in my opinion, you can't take Bryce Young over Will Levis's potential, over Anthony Richardson's ultimate potential, and over C.J. Stroud's just reliability from day one of being a top 12 quarterback. Yeah. It's interesting how how much things have changed with the Seahawks situation because you talk about you talk about the defensive guys at the top of this draft, and it does seem to be a very top-heavy draft. I don't know that this first round is going to be talked about with the quality depth that the last couple of drafts have. Maybe this is the first one that suffers from all the guys that took the extra COVID year. They all came out last year and now we're kind of seeing a dip because of that. But, you know, up until this point, I've been one of the, one of the people just pounding the table saying, look, you know, quarterback's not a need. Now we need interior defensive line. That's where we need to focus. We need miles Murphy. We need, uh, we need Brian Brzee. We need Jalen Carter. We need one of those guys, right? But on the flip side, this roster is so balanced and there aren't any glaring weaknesses. And while you can always make the argument that there's a need for a dynamic talent, a problem maker on the interior defensive line, you can also make the argument that we're solid enough that they can find those guys later if there's someone worth taking at five that can set up the future of your franchise and make sure it's in good hands. We know that John Schneider has fallen in love with a couple of quarterbacks in his in his career that we didn't end up taking. It's been well documented that he was in love with Patrick Mahomes when not everybody was the year he came out. And it's been reported that if he had fallen just a few more spots to where the Seahawks were picking, they would have taken him, regardless of the fact Russell Wilson was in his prime at that time. It's been well documented that they talked to the Cleveland Browns the year they took Baker Mayfield number one overall, that he was in love with Josh Allen and that he talked about trading Russell Wilson for the number one pick to take Josh Allen. If there's one guy in this first tier of the guys you just talked about that I could see John Schneider absolutely falling in love with and overlooking some of the issues he's had to deal with this year and take him at number five with an eye on the future, it's Will Levis. Yeah, uh, he... Uh, the comp I've had for him all year is he is a B to B plus version of Josh Allen. Mm. You take a look at Josh Allen, his uh, final year at Wyoming. It was a disaster. They, they were not great. I think they uh, made the famous Idaho potato bowl um, (laughs) in a year when they were kind of hoping to maybe make a run at a group of five New Year's six bid. Uh, I believe he completed uh, right around 60% of his passes and that was the big knock on Josh Allen. There's never been a quarterback in the NFL that couldn't complete over, you know, 60 to 65% of his passes in, the, in college and then come to the NFL and light it up. Yeah. But there's also the fact that, you know, he was in Wyoming and this talent he was surrounded by and his mechanics weren't exactly right. And you look at Will Levis, he has almost the exact same body as Josh Allen. 
He can run when healthy like Josh Allen. He can throw when healthy like Josh Allen. He has not been healthy. He's probably not been healthy this entire year. Um, There's probably been more injuries we don't even know about. You get him to Seattle and you let him sit for a year, I could even see him taking the job from Geno even next year if there's any any sort of issues because if you're Seattle, you're signing Geno because you think Geno can win you a Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the big question right now is do you think Geno Smith can A, get you to a Super Bowl and win? Because those are kind of your questions. Like if you're just happy getting to a Super Bowl, personally, I think Geno could in the right scenario get Seattle to a Super Bowl just like Jimmy Garoppolo did. Um, do I think he can go up against Mahomes and Allen or a Lamar Jackson possibly and score 31 to 34 points in a Super Bowl game? Personally, I don't think so. I've, I've loved everything I've seen from Geno this year. That's not a knock on him. There's only two or three quarterbacks I really feel like can do that in the NFL. I don't think Jalen Hurts can. You know, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo can. I think you got Brady, Mahomes, and Allen are probably your three best quarterbacks that I really feel like Geno can't beat right now in a Super Bowl game or an NFC championship type of thing. So you got to ask that question. Are you happy with where you're at, or do you want to take the risk of passing on an elite pass rusher? Because what you're talking about at pick number five is all it takes is two to maybe a third quarterback uh, or team quarterback needy team in those first four picks. And then you're going to have the option of a Will Anderson. Jr., yeah. Who's probably the best defensive edge prospect since Vaughn Miller or Miles Garrett, or you have a chance at Jalen Carter, who's probably the best defensive tackle prospect since Aaron Donald. I'm not saying he's Aaron Donald. I'm not saying Will Anderson is those guys, but they're pretty dang close. And so those are the kind of guys you add to this team on the cheap for four years. Well, then your window is just extended. And now I feel a little bit better about Geno maybe getting to a Super Bowl. And I'm happy if if the Seahawks make it to a Super Bowl because you kind of can go off the mindset of, well, we make it. Let's see what happens. Um, I also kind of feel like it'd be really tough to pass on a, on, on a Will Levis. But if I'm at pick number five and those two pass rushers are gone and the quarterback is there at five, I have him ranked over the next level of prospects that I have rated. And those are almost all defensive players. Mm-hmm. Um, almost every single one of them I have. There's There's one receiver I'm kind of interested in, but I wouldn't take him at five. So now you're looking at, do I trade back a little bit and get something? If someone like Washington or Indianapolis, who could be really desperate for a quarterback, and they might be willing to give you a first round pick that they have, which would probably be 10 to 15. And they're willing to give you next year's first round pick. Yeah. I'm always going to be interested in a deal like that. Yeah. Because then you're, then you're kicking the bucket, which is something I know I've talked to you a little bit about is uh, when this year started, Geno Smith was not part of the future, and now it looks like nope. he is. When this year started, this draft class looked like when it was maybe not the greatest, but one of the deepest of all time. I think there was seven quarterbacks that at one point were projected to go in the first round. Yeah. Um, you know, Tanner McKee, right. Spencer Rattler, uh, Caden Slovis. A lot of these Still guys really highly commit. thought of. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. A lot can change in a year. and But you're looking at the 2024 class and mm. probably the best quarterback prospect maybe to have come into the draft since luck and i'd probably rate him higher than luck is caleb williams and as a former oklahoma as an oklahoma sooner fan that really is tough for me to say watching him at usc but you saw it he's unstoppable he can make every throw he can run over around people um you know that's the kind of guy that's going to go number one so you're kind of 
it's a lot of you're asking to hope to get lucky to get the number one pick when you're you're trying to win a Super Bowl right now. And we have a 70 year old head coach. I, I don't know if we're necessarily looking to draft yeah, Caleb Williams. Like we're trying to win. Yep. And so uh, I agree with you. I think Levis would be really tough to pass up at five, but you could get a Keen's ransom for him at five. You just got to get the value of how you feel. But if you were to ask me if I'm at five, would I rather have Will Anderson and J- or Jalen Carter or Will Levis? I think if I'm building a team, I would rather take Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. Uh, and may- I mean, it's unlikely. Maybe you can try and trade back one pick, but it's unlikely. Um, and then I would look to use my Seahawks pick to trade up if an Anthony Richardson is there. Yeah. Um, and that's and I agree. I think John Schneider looks at Will Levis higher than he looks at Anthony Richardson. I look at Anthony Richardson higher than I look at Will Levis, but it's very close. Yeah. And if I can get Anthony Richardson at 12 and he's 95 percent of what Will Levis ends up being, I'm, I'm interested in that. Well, and it's I man, what I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall in these conversations as yeah. we get closer to the draft, because I think you're going to get. I think that a dynamic that probably won't be talked about because the Seahawks are so good at keeping this under wraps but but it's carol versus schneider i you know schneider probably is going to be salivating over some of these guys with an eye on four years down the line five years down the line pete's not going to be around then and so i I can imagine that there might be some philosophical debates some very spirited debates about what to do with those top picks i'm with you on richardson and again i wouldn't take him at five either but the reason that i would love using essentially that extra first round pick we have at the end of first of the first round to take him is because he's a guy that while he's going to need a couple of years to develop as a passer. Um, and first of all, the one, the one thing you didn't mention is everything that people say about that kid's makeup attitude work ethic is mm-hmm. off the charts. And that's, you know, yes. that's going to appeal to John Schneider and Pete Carroll, mm-hmm. but his ability to help the team now is is pretty significant. I think about what Taysom Hill does in New Orleans and, and what some other teams have done um, with running type quarterbacks and, and what Shane Waldron might be able to do with him um, kind of just as a toy uh, while he's developing, while Geno Smith's starters is pretty intriguing too. Let's move ahead. It's a, it's, it, it's oh, a need. Ahead. Really quick, it's a need. You see, you've seen how poor we are in the short yardage situations. Yeah. Um, we've really struggled and you give me Anthony Richardson, you tell him, hey, you can either run left, run right, run ahead, or we're going to run a quick RPO for you. That's deadly. That's that's dangerous, and he can be really useful for the first year. It would it would look a lot better than DJ Dallas trying to throw the football in the <laughs> red zone out of the Wildcat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's move ahead to day two, because now we're... To me, that's kind of the most intriguing tier, is I think with every day that goes by, and every day that Geno Smith continues to play the way that he is, the chances of the Seahawks taking a quarterback in the first round diminish. Yes. But the idea of of trying to find lightning in a bottle and trying to find a Russell Wilson in the second or third round that you might feel confident enough giving a spot on the 53-man roster to because you feel strongly enough that he could be a franchise quarterback down the line is a more realistic possibility, especially because there's an extra second round pick as well. Um, Thank you, Denver. Right. The gift that keeps on giving. Absolutely. Um, who are who are a couple of your favorite guys in that next tier that you think match um, the Seahawks offense and, and might be a target? So if, if you're not taking a quarterback, if you're getting a premier pass rusher at number five, the first thing I would do is I'd look to trade back from pick 23 mm-hmm. to look to acquire more. Um, this draft, if you're looking for star power, you got to probably have a top seven pick. 
Um, after that, I think there's a lot of good players. And that's what Seattle could use right now. If you're not going to get a blue chip pass rusher, which is what our defense needs, um, then you need to get more depth. And you saw that against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay had more depth um, to overwhelm us over the course of 60 minutes. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a lot of really good players on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. You can still go get plenty of edge rushers in the early in the second round. Mm-hmm. You can. There's plenty of good wide receivers. Um, there's a chance Jordan Addison from USC might slip just because of his size. Um, that's a solid guy that could possibly be a perfect slot receiver or move Tyler Lockett to a slot, which might extend Lockett's career three or four years. I mean, before this year started, I was talking about how I was actually getting ready to write an article on how Seattle should trade Lockett to Baltimore to get, uh, you know, possibly a third or even second round pick just because we had no more use for him. We couldn't, who, who's going to throw him the ball and stuff. And now he, it looks like he can still play for another three or four yeah, years. Yeah. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, there are so many cornerbacks. And Michael Jackson's been fantastic. Trey, ba- Trey Brown coming back is going to be exciting. Um, there's something very intriguing about the possibility of getting a second top-tier corner to go with what we're mm-hmm. seeing from Tariq Woolen. Um, Joey Porter probably doesn't make it to the second round, okay. but if he's there at 23, I'm taking him. Um, you're looking at Clark Phillips from Utah. Um, was is has been fantastic. You're talking about uh, Christian Gonzalez from Oregon. Those are interesting guys for the secondary. There's also the elephant in the room about your sec your safeties. Uh, you right. can get out of the Quandre Diggs contract this year and save a ton of money. He has not been bad. He has not been good. He has not been worth the price that you've paid so far. He's got zero interceptions this year, very little wow plays. Yeah, he just hasn't and, made any plays. Right, and that might be a testament to the defense as a whole, but yeah. uh, I also view that as a great place to maybe take a look at Skinner from Boise State, hmm. uh, who could be getting paid a fraction of what Diggs is and playing at a high, as higher a higher level. You're probably stuck with Adams for one more year, um, yeah. but... I would want to keep Ryan Neal with everything I got, and I would look at moving Jamal Adams into more of a outside linebacker pass rushing mode, which is actually what he's been most successful at with Seattle when he was healthy. Um, and then I would have I'd look at Skinner and Neal as a great young secondary to go with Tariq Woolen. Um, tight ends: Michael Mayer, um, Darnell Washington from Georgia, um, just absolute beasts. It looks like this offense is going to be built with a huge focus on the tight ends. Seattle probably isn't going to get rid of Will Disley, but if you could get out of that contract and get a player that's playing at the same level as his, that's that's you know you're trying to find ways to to run a franchise and be successful while also getting better and stuff. And so I think you could improve from Will Disley because I think Darnell right now is a better blocker and is a better receiver than Will Disley, which Mm. Will's been fantastic this year. This is no disrespect to Uncle Will. It's just trying to get younger. Um, Nolan, looking at pass rush, Nolan Smith from from Georgia is an outside linebacker that could be a pass rusher. Andre Carter from Army is an underrated guy nobody's talking about. Jared Verse, you know, you had Jermaine Johnson last year was kind of the the rising prospect that ended up actually slipping in the draft um, from Florida State. Well, Florida State went out and did the exact same thing with Jared Verse. That's yeah. another solid guy that they got. Um, and that's another guy that you could get and look at it getting. Um, you're looking at defensive tackles. Uh, I butcher the name, but from Baylor, uh, Ika or Ika. Mm. Um, that's another guy you need. Big you need dude. some depth. Yeah. If you're not going to re-sign Puna Ford or Al Will or Al Woods, um, you need a guy that's going to take up space. There's there's a lot of depth there 
that you can go with that late first, early second round pick. And then, like I said, um, if I get my pass rushing need fixed with one of those three picks, if I can get a third receiver, which is actually very needed on this team. Absolutely. Uh, Marquise, Marquise Goodwin's been a godsend, but you can't expect him to be back next year. And I'm off the Eskridge train if I ever was on it. Yeah. So um, he just hasn't shown enough. So if I can get a third receiver, and then I'm looking at that fourth pick, which is probably right around the mid-50s, if Michael Penix is there, I'm happy to take him because okay. I might have gotten myself, you know, best player available on the trenches. Because um, it's important to remember these game football is won in the trenches with the quarterback having time to throw or getting after him, and then they're one 20 to 40 yards down the field on the sidelines with you know those big time throws to your receiver or cornerback. Can you draw a penalty? Can you make the catch? Or can you force the turnover or force an incompletion? Every night, every week, every Sunday, you're going to see those plays. That they get decided on those those two areas, and that's where Seattle needs to overwhelm their roster with talent. And a Michael Penix, in my opinion, right now is probably the perfect fit to sit behind for a year, without sacrificing the golden goose that you've received from Denver, which is yeah. probably two top thirty picks, including one's a top or top thirty-five picks, with one of them as a top five pick. It might even be as high as three or two, you know, and and that's it's a franchise changing trade that, you know, can set us up for years to come. I like that line of thinking that, you know, let's use those, that gift to take players at, at other positions of need that can make an immediate impact and, and really change your roster. Um, whereas, you know, the, the crap shoot that is quarterback and it might not pay off for years if it does at all. Let's make these picks count. I also like the idea of trading back from the second pick because we hear this every few years and I'm, quite sure from everything that I've read about this draft and even listening to you talk about it, that this is going to be one of those years where you hear John Schneider after the draft say, we had 15 first round grades, right? It's not, this is not a 30 first round grade type year. And so moving back from 23 or wherever it ends up being, it could end up being lower if they continue to win. And the schedule does look favorable coming up that uh, this might make more sense than ever. Give me one more, a couple of questions for you before I got to get you out of here. Let's go back to the Apple Cup real quick. Uh, one prospect I have seen ranked everywhere you could possibly imagine, from the late first round all the way to the seventh round, in the 500s, actually, on Pro Football Network, um, Dayon Hensley, uh, outside line. Yeah. Well, he plays the middle linebacker, too. He's all over the field for the um, for the Cougs transfer. Um, he just he, he plays well in coverage, incredible speed, incredible pursuit. He can rush the passer. He looks like a guy that would absolutely look good in, in Seahawk blue. I think linebacker is going to be a definite draft need, uh, a priority for them as they head into next year's draft. What's your take on Hensley and where, what round do you kind of see him slotting into uh, at this point? Yeah, I uh, I also do some writing for uh, the college football site over at Fansided, and I did three predictions for bold predictions for the Cougars this season. And I had Hensley as an all American and he has, he's a bucket finalist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's been there. Um, he's been fantastic. Um, we need to get faster, you know, at, in our, at the linebacker position. Mm-hmm. Um, again, talking about my principles, I would not have drafted Jordan Brooks in the first round. But we did, and I don't think he's a bad player, but I think we need to add more talent there because there's still a lot left to be desired. And Cody Barton, great interception you had, but you know he's, he's not a future part of this. When the Seahawks are playing to go to the Super Bowl very soon, I don't think Cody Barton can be on your starting lineup. Hmm. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. You need to get quick. Yeah. You need guys that can run with these athletic tight ends that can get after the quarterback when you blitz them. And Hensley is absolutely all of that. He can be a Swiss Army knife, much like I thought kind of Jamal Adams was going to be. And he's, I think he's bigger than Jamal Adams. But I would be happy to see if, if he's there in the second or even third round. Um, we were just talking about kind of those needs. You you got to get a you got to get a linebacker in the first in your first probably four picks, um, four if not five picks. And so I have him as a top five linebacker in my draft. Um, I think Noah Sewell is probably head and shoulders the top guy in my opinion. Yeah, he's really good. Uh, if he falls to the second round, I'd be glad to take him. I'm not taking him with a first round pick. I'd rather go get a, an edge rusher or um, a cornerback or a wide receiver. Um, Henry Toho. Oh, oh, to to um, trying to say that five times fast. Right. He's another guy I think will, will be there early in that second round. And I would not be surprised if Seattle looks for him as possibly matching scene if he fits with a Jordan Brooks. But a Hensley is the perfect complement to Jordan Brooks. And he is a perfect speed, solid, fundamental tackle. That's just, we've just seen that too much this year with our, our, are guys missing tackles yeah. specifically in the linebacker spot. And I want a guy that's not just going to not miss tackles. I want a guy that's going to hit someone hard. Um, and that's where guys like Skinner reminds me a lot of that cam chancellor mold that I'm looking for, but from a free safety, okay. um, Hensley is a guy that hits hard. No, you play in the NFC West, you're playing, you know, the Rams when they're, when they are good and you're playing the 49ers. It's been that way for a decade. It is an arms race on who's tougher and the tougher team usually wins. Um, and that's the kind of guy I want to add that adds so much dimension to our team. You, like you said, some drafts, he's way, 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 way in like the fifth or sixth round. And yeah. some you're seeing him in the second and stuff. And he's a guy that's going to dominate at the combine and he's going to look good. He's going to look better than some of those guys from, um, like I know Sanders from Arkansas or pace from Cincinnati. Um, I think he's probably the third linebacker in my, in my my list, okay. which I would put him as a late second round pick. Okay. Uh, let's circle all the way back for my final question too. We've, uh, outside of Penix and, and again, for those of you who are really into this stuff and want to know all about the quarterbacks and some other names that we, that we haven't gotten to go to 12th man rising, um, and look at today's latest post from Michael. It's tracking the quarterbacks and he breaks it down into tears and he talks about 20 quarterbacks probably, right? Would you say about 20? It's pretty close. Overall? Yeah. It's about, yeah. Let's give me one name outside of the first round and outside of Michael Penix that we've talked about that you just feel like uniquely fits the Seahawks that would make sense for them to draft at some point in the draft. One guy, kind of a sleeper dark horse guy that we haven't mentioned that you really like. If I was to go with a guy, I'd probably go with Jaron Hall from BYU. Hmm. Um, Probably not the best timing, but if you look at Zach Wilson, <laughs> um, right. Jaron Hall today. is yeah um, the bench warmer guy. That's nothing to his fault at the Jets. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for for Seattle. Right. Um, no, Jaron Hall uh, replaced Zach Wilson after Zach Wilson got drafted. Um, I still believe if Zach Wilson gets drafted by the 49ers, which I think was the intention at uh, number three, reportedly, yeah, that was their guy. And I think that has really messed with the 49ers a bit, um, but the rest of their team is so great, it doesn't matter. But Jaron Hall is almost a carbon copy of Zach Wilson, but because it's not a COVID season um, and because they're not in a New Year's Six Bowl hunt or they're not undefeated for most of the season, uh, 
Jaron Hall is not getting the same love as Zach Wilson. Um, and Zach Wilson, his footwork is broken. Um, and his confidence is shaken, but he can make every throw. And I feel like Jaron Hall in the right environment who could sit for a year could light it up for Seattle. And if I am going to take a quarterback not in the first two rounds that I want a guy to sit for a year or two behind and then be ready to go, Jaron Hall is that guy. He's a smaller guy too. He's barely six foot. Yes. Yeah. He, yeah. I think he's listed at six one, so he's probably six feet and tall. And he did a um, mission. Did he do a mission? He's a little yep. older guy too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I believe he's 22. Okay. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad yeah. for a guy. Who's yeah, if, I, if I'm okay. if I'm drafting a guy, that's probably where I'm going. If I'm yeah. looking for just a big guy to kind of run over people and be like a, a short guard, your uh, goal line package kind of guy that might develop into something, it's KJ Jefferson from Arkansas. Hmm. Okay, those those are my two guys. Well, listen, Michael, this has been great. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've we've uh, we've been talking about doing this for a long time, and we're an yeah. hour into it. We could easily have gone into more depth. And done a, we could do a part two and just talk about tier two and tier three guys uh, for the rest of the day. But we're gonna, yeah. we're not gonna do that. Uh, Michael Thompson, Twelfth Man Rising. Uh, let people know where they can find your stuff. Yeah, you can find me uh, at Twelfth Rising. Uh, I have two articles, Twelfth Man Rising. I've got two articles that come out every week, uh, tracking quarterbacks um, that could fit Seattle in this upcoming draft. And then every Wednesday or Thursday, uh, I'll also have a notes from the nest article, which is just kind of recapping the week. That was, um, observations. Uh, we make a little bit of fun of Russell Wilson every week. Um, and those sweet draft picks that's coming our way as well as kind of the state of the West and what's coming ahead, um, which it's, we're kind of coming down to the end right now. We're getting ready for the impending 49er Seahawks showdown here in a few weeks. It's amazing how fast the season's gone. I think it's just because it's, it's been, been so much fun, and that's that's what makes it fly by. And here we are looking forward to the playoffs. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, we'll have you on again for sure uh, sometime before the draft, and we'll break some things down, some other positional value as well. But uh, read his stuff. Check him out on Twitter, and uh, check out 12th Man Rising. Uh, I will be back. Uh, we'll probably post the show Friday. Dana and I are going to get together tomorrow, do a little Thanksgiving recording, and we'll we'll just kind of do a reset after ten games and preview the rest of the season, um, and then we'll move forward from there with the Seahawks taking on the Raiders Sunday. Look for my rapid reaction shortly after that game. Again, my thanks to Michael Thompson. My name is Dan Viennes. This is the Field Goals Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get notification of new episodes. And until next time, go Hawks. <laughs>